It's episode 26 of the Pete Primo Show, and I am here with Victor Antonio. Good morning, Victor. How are we doing this morning, Pete? I'm good. Good, good. You know, hey, first of all, I just want I, a small complaint here. This is episode 26. It took you 25 just to finally get to me. I don't know how I should take that. I'm a little offended, <laughs> but there it is. Go ahead. <laughs> so how I got to know you, Victor, the oh. very first time I heard your name, mm-hmm. it was either Mike Weinberg or Mark Hunter, and they were talking about outbound mm. and the fact that the audience is asked to rank the speakers Hmm. and you are the number one best ranked speaker at outbound. That's the first thing I ever heard of you. By the way, I didn't, I didn't, I got this is full. I'm being honest here. I didn't know they had rankings for speakers. They have a thing that they hand out to the audience and you were number one. So, Oh, that's funny. That's cool. So the way I got to know you, was through IFRA. We were in the pandemic and there's a thing on virtual selling. And dude, I was like, what the heck's going to happen here? Mm-hmm. I can't see my customers. Everyone's just going to go out of business. You know, this is in my mind. I didn't dare say this to anybody, not my wife, nobody. As a matter of fact, I shoot it out of my mind whenever it came into my mind. We're all going to be out of business. I'm going to be, what am I going to do? Hey, by the way, I, I think we should define for the audience what IFRA is. I think it's the International Home Retail Furniture Retail Association, right? Rep Association. It's for independent there. reps. There you yes. go. There you go. They hired uh, Victor to do a, a seminar on virtual selling. Mm-hmm. And that was, so I didn't connect the two. So I'd heard about you mm-hmm. and I had seen a little bit about you, but I didn't know who you were from Adam. Right. And then I'm going, this dude is really confident. <laughs> how, do you, how do you take that? And then I listen to him and I go, he's on the money. This dude knows what he's talking about. Mm. All right. So started listening. And then you, uh, I think, made an announcement there that you're going to be doing this thing, Sales After Dark. Mm-hmm. And basically three times a week, you came on there live. You did a little lesson and then you answered it up. It was almost like group coaching mm-hmm. uh, for free, which was, I thought, fairly insane for a guy of your caliber. So here's my question to you. Mm. Why did you do it? Why did I do it? It is a good question. It's a solid question. So to, to set up the full frame to make sure everybody understands. So March of last year, you know, the um, I remember I got back from Puerto Rico. It was like the right, I was doing first quarter is always a big quarter for me speaking and coaching, right? So I I just finished doing a run. By run, I mean several dates in Puerto Rico, and I, it was March thirteenth, and then March twentieth. You know, we went on a shutdown, right? And just like you, just like pretty much everybody else, we're like, what's going to happen? And then sometimes when we don't know what to do, the best thing is to do something. That's kind of my philosophy, right? So keep moving, be a shark, keep moving. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I realized that, okay, now we're going to probably, I don't know. When the contract started rolling in, Pete, canceling my events, I go, uh-oh. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is not good, right? And so by, I'll just say the beginning of April, I'm like, uh, this is not going to go well this year. And so this <laughs> is not going to go well. And I think I lost like 90% of my business uh, as a year went on. And now fast forward to the end, we still grew like almost 18%. 
you know, that year, which is 2020. So what I, what I said, I said, what do I do? It's like, you know, for me, I'm like, my ADHD is really bad. So if I can't travel, I got to do something. So I redid the studio, which is what you see now. Yeah. Bought me an interactive board. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to start doing these things, uh, you know, in the evening. I was going to do one during the day, but I said, let's do it in the evening. Let's do something casual. And I wanted to make it something very casual, just sales training casually. And I was looking for a name and I kept thinking, you know, I want to do it at night, you know, and then I don't know why this popped into my head. I guess, you know, uh, we'll just leave it at that. But I was thinking of Hugh Hefner's Playboy After Dark, right? And that's how I came up with the title. So I think, what about Sales After Dark? I said, yeah, that's a good concept. And then I committed. Uh, I said, you know what? I'll do this three times a week just to say top of mind in the public eye. And I committed to 100 episodes, not knowing what it took to do 100 episodes. You know, it's just like it was a, it was a, you know, I, I put a stake in the ground and I went for it. And by the, by episode 20, 25, I'm like, what did I commit to? But <laughs> it just drove me, man. It just drove me. Like I said, I, there, and then throughout the whole, we, I think we did about 105. I'll probably do some more in the future, but there were so many cool things that happened along the way. And uh, I, I was able to generate a lot of business because of sales after dark as well. So there's the unintended consequences. But I did it because I didn't know what else to do. I had to do something. Well, it was a lifesaver for me. And thank you very much You're for, welcome. for doing thank it. You. Thank you for attending. You were always there. Uh, and the reason when you, when you asked me to do this podcast, I'm like, of course, Matt, for you, Matt. Uh, you and several other people were always there. Like for you, were there for like day one, I think. I don't know what, but there was. I, there's four or five people I have in my head who always were always on on the you know on the uh, sales after dark uh, call with me. Yeah, as a matter of fact, this is uh, one of my my prized possessions. Oh, yeah. yeah, my pen. One of my pens. Yeah, you won yeah. that. Yeah. And do you want to know something? Yeah. This, what? This may make you sad, or it might make you happy. <laughs> but this was every bit as important. And here's a little sales lessons for everybody watching. A little handwritten, you probably can't even see it, but yeah. a little handwritten note that Th takes you a few minutes goes a long way, folks. And Thank you. Thank you for your constant support for those who can't see what he's showing. <laughs> so I guess you couldn't see it. <laughs> well, you sure won't be able to see it on the on the audio podcast. That's right? correct. That's correct. Thanks for catching me, Victor. I, I appreciate that. So how in, in your mind, mm. because you, listen, we had, we had wholesale reps, we had retail uh, salespeople, we had store managers in, in that group. Mm. Uh, we, we had people from all kinds of industries, which mm. fascinated me. And it was very interesting to see what they thought was important and, mm. and what they latched on to. When you look at business in, mm. in general, both retail and wholesale. What's changed in the last year for you? I mean, the obvious, we were shut down and now we're in the process of reopening. Some places are more open than others. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I think this is going to be an interesting um, study. You know, one of the things I like, I'm into this thing right now where I just want to watch documentaries, right? And I like documentaries that are like 10 to 20 years lagging. In other words, you know, 10 to 20 years when the, there's an emotional detachment from the actual incident, whatever it may be. Like, uh, I just saw one on Chernobyl, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, learned things I didn't know uh, before. And I think it will happen with the pandemic as well. I, not to compare it to Chernobyl. I mean, that's just one example. But when we get enough distance, we're going to see 
you know, what really went on and all the good things and the bad things, good, bad, and the ugly, right? Yeah. That went on. And I think, you know, I'm going to focus on the good because I, I think there's a lot of good stuff that actually happened. I think the biggest one I always talk about is that we realize that in many ways, we don't, as salespeople, we don't have to be there to sell. Some industries actually prospered, especially from a profitability standpoint. Uh, I, one, of my, one of my biggest clients is an energy company, and they sell batteries, like big batteries, not little, like big batteries, uh, uh, you know, billion-dollar company. And one of the things they saw was very interesting. He said, Victor, you know, our, our sales dropped by 10%. He said, but our cost of sales went through the floor, which means our profitability is way up. Uh, the pool industry, another industry I work with, uh, their pool sales just shot through the roof. They thought that they were they thought they were going to go into the into into the tank. You know, in other words, yeah. I was talking to the gentleman who um, his name is Michael Morewood Morehead Pools, and he was very forthright. He said, "Victor, I got to tell you, we had we plan we had Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. So Plan A was to cut costs. As soon as the pandemic hit, Plan A cut costs. Plan B, uh, you know, reduce headcount. Plan C." Have no idea what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, he said, he said, but, he's, but, but he's funny. He goes, we just did plan A, cut costs. But then we realized that our business started to grow. And the unintended consequence there is that people started cocooning more, staying in their homes. Well, staying in the home, you got to do something. And that time people decided to get a pool. So that was a positive. And there's so many examples. I wish somebody would write a book about all the, the upsides of the pandemic when it came to selling. I think that would be an incredible document to read. Yeah, I I think so. You know, my business ended up being close to 40% up. Mm. My income was 40% up. Wow. My expenses, well, I normally put 60,000 miles on my car and mm -hmm. I put 19,000 miles on my car. Mm -hmm. So they were literally a third of what they um, normally were. So uh, needless to say, it, it was a very good year for me. And good for you. Good for and you. I was blessed and, and very thankful for it. You know, hey, Pete, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, one of the things I'd love to see in, in this 10 to 20 year study in the future that they're going to do is the environmental impact or lack thereof of the pandemic. Because think about it. We weren't driving. Less pollution. Less yeah. pollution. I mean, some cities actually said, hey, I can see the buildings now. Yeah. I, I haven't seen in the last 20 years. Uh, so you think about the carbon footprint. You think about all the things that you know, we learned in terms of we don't have to travel. And then, you know, it's now that we've been shown that that virtual selling or remote selling, uh, pick your flavor, is possible. I don't think we'll return fully back to normal, but we will have, and I hate to use the word hybrid because it's overused and abused, but yeah. there is going to be this blend of how we do business. Just like we connect with people on different channels, how we sell differently now has also changed on different channels. And, and I think one of the things that was that you did a great job of in your seminar, the very first seminar that I attended, is you kind of explained to us that even though you didn't, quote, call it virtual, mm. your business, the way you ran your business, largely was virtual. Mm -hmm. in, in, many, in many ways, like for me, inbound marketing has always been about virtual. Like, you know, right now, I think I have like 1,600 videos on YouTube. And that generates a massive amount of traffic to my website. And so I've been doing virtual for quite a while, plus 10 years, easy. And so I think the rest of the world just finally caught up with virtual. So instead of a 45-degree trajectory to virtual, I think we just made a 90-degree turn and said, all right, let's start doing some of this. And initially, people freaked out. Some people are still panicking. But the reality is that it can be as effective. And I, it's not for all industries, but it can be as effective and as beneficial when you go virtual.
Yeah. So let's talk about Sales Velocity Academy. But before I let you talk about your product, I'm going to talk about your product as a user. So um, basically what it is, and Victor hates when I say this, but I'm going to say it. I don't care. Um, You get to have Victor Antonio 24 hours a day if you want him. No. And, and so listen, everyone has a different schedule there, you know, and, and, you know, the nice thing, whether you're a morning person, you're a, a night person, you have access to literally thousands of videos and they're, they're small and he covers different and it's so well organized. And basically if you went through all of them and I haven't been through all of them, even though I've tried, it's a lot. um, There's a lot there. It's basically, it's your like little coach that you can access and do five or 10 minutes at a time. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Gittimer is is great at, at talking about is, you know what, just read two to three pages of something positive every day, Mm -hmm. you know, every morning, preferably. And, you know, you don't have to do great big chunks. And for me, watching, you know, a handful of videos, 15, 20 minutes and boom, um, I'm good to go. I got my Victor in for the day. You talk about your product because it's an awesome product and I highly recommend it. Thank Anybody you. that doesn't have it, you need to get it. You need to have Victor 24-7. No, I know he hates that. That, that part I didn't like. I, I know. Part, I, I know you don't. I'm sorry, but <laughs> the part before that was good. It, it's a great academy. I mean, it, I, there's a lot of content in there. So whether you're starting out as a salesperson, experienced salesperson, and even some management courses in there, uh, I think it's probably one of the most comprehensive sales training platforms out there. It is, and yeah. you add something new to it every week. Every month is what we're trying to do now. That's more of a, a, a regular schedule we're trying to keep on. There, there was that weekly thing. Uh, it gets a little, you know, overwhelming if you know what I mean. What does Dan say here? How do you keep the excitement up on your virtual events? That's a great question. Yeah. Can you answer that? It, it's not an easy way to answer, but but I think you know uh, I have a course on like pattern interrupts, and and I have a, also a, a master class I did on virtual engagement, which is how do you do it? Like, there's so many ways that you can engage virtually. There's so many strategies you could use. Pattern interrupt is almost like the the the, the foundation how you should do it. And then what you stack on top of it is the best way of doing it. The short answer is understand what your client wants. That's the easy part, right? But the thing is, is how do you create this, this almost this cycling, this emotional cycling throughout the process and how do you keep that going? A lot of people don't give that thought. Uh, and I do. Like I, I can look at my slides. If I use slides on, on the board, I know that every, let's say, two or three slides, I'll say five to seven minutes, there's a pattern interrupt of some sort, and I plan out those pattern interrupts. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a presentation at Outbound next week, and I'm going to do something so unique and so different that nobody's ever seen it before on how to do a presentation from the stage. And I'll just leave it at that. But it will be a first in speaking history. I, I'm going to take engagement to the next level. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that close under wraps. It's going to be good. So do my audience a favor for the, for the handful of people out there that don't know what a pattern interrupt is. Can you define it for them? A pattern interrupt is when you just, Hey, Oh, I'm back. Pattern interrupt. 
That just, was that was a pattern interrupt. That was a pattern interrupt. <laughs> By the way, let me tell you a story. Pattern interrupt. That's all it is. Uh, I got a question for you. Pattern interrupt, right? It's when you get the audience to do something, make them do an exercise, and you. But it's got to be purposeful. It can't be like gratuitous, like because you feel like you need to interrupt their pattern every three to five seven minutes. So it has to be as part of your presentation. I think that's the trick. That's the science. Anybody can create pattern interrupts. You can tell stories. You can ask questions. You can do polls. You can do surveys. You can switch screens. You can show graphics. You can add a video, whatever it may be. All these are pattern interrupts. But the question is, how do you weave them seamlessly as part of your presentation without making it seem like it's a gratuitous pattern interrupt? There's the science and the art of it. Yep. Yep. And and let me tell you something. Uh, from the beginning, when I w- watched you using the, it's the Viboard, right? Is that Correct. what it's called? Yep. Viboard. Yep. When you started to do the Viboard till the end, mm-hmm. the additional skill and the ease and the comfort level that you got with that as mm-hmm. a tool uh, was amazing to watch because, you know, we're not watching, you know, a 20 year old who we expect to go quick. You know, mm. we're watching a 57-year-old man at that point, right? Thank you for highlighting that. But yeah, yeah go ahead. 57? Yeah, it's better than 75. I don't know. I, I guess it depends on how you look at it, brother. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of ways to look at that. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, you have to keep up with the tools, right? Yeah. Uh, I always always tell myself, I don't want to be that old guy at the disco. See, nobody even uses the word disco anymore. But you don't want to be the old guy at the party going, oh, that's not music. Oh, that doesn't work. We used to do it like this. You know, when I was your age, you know, nobody wants to hear that. And so I learn a lot, like from millennials. You know what I mean? They, they teach me a lot. I, I just I just take what they have to offer. I blend it what I got and I create a mashup of yeah. you know, betterment. I'll put it that way. Yep. So there's a lesson too for 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 store owners, for sales reps, mm-hmm. and for RSA sales pros at retail. You know, embrace change because mm-hmm. it's going to happen with you or without you. You have a choice. <laughs> yeah. But by, by the way, and let's talk to the retail industry and the furniture industry, you know, and the, and the home furnishing industry, because there's so many ways I would argue with them till, till I'm blue in the face. I'll argue that there's so many ways that you can use virtual to your advantage that yeah. most people simply don't do. And I think you just have to kind of open your mind to the fact that it is possible. I think, you know, it's like when you go to a workshop, right? There's, there's several people that show the, the first type is like, I can't learn anything. You can't teach me anything. I've been in this industry for a hundred years, blah, blah, blah. That person is not going to learn, right? The other person that's going to learn is a person that's reminded of something. But the people that learn the most are the people who are triggered by, and I like to use the word triggered, are triggered by listening to somebody or watching somebody go, oh, now how can I take what they're doing and implement it and use it in my context? See, that's a totally different question that you ask yourself, right? How could I use that in my context? The best question you ask when you want to learn something new, it's easy to say, ah, that won't work. But it's harder to ask yourself, how could I make that work for me? How do you see the future? Of um, selling. The short-term future of selling in both retail and B2B, um, long-term and short-term. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to take the unpopular opinion right now. Go that ahead. We, that, I love that. That, that, that we're going to go back to normal. I mean, we are. To, to a large extent, no, we're going to no. go back to normal. See, no, I told you, you're I told, wrong. Bullshit. 
We're not. We're not going back to normal. By the way, can I finish my argument, though? So you yes, got to let the man present his argument, and then you have to kind of <laughs> then address the argument. That's usually the way it works. Uh, I thought you'd do that. So <laughs> the argument is as such. We believe that things really change, but let's really analyze. Let's, let's break this apart. If I ask the question to people, has selling really changed? The answer is no. It's always about a transaction of value for value. It never changes. Selling has never changed. I'm sorry, but it hasn't. So what has changed are the tools and the mediums of change, of selling rather, right? The tools and the medium. So what has happened now is that we're going to return back to a sense of normal because all we're going to do, still buy the same way, still transact the same way, we'll just use different tools and mediums. For example, we had the internet. That changed everything. Then came social media. Or one could argue Amazon first, that's how we bought, then can social media. These are just different tools and mediums of change. So we're going to go back to that. Now, some people will say, you know what? I don't like doing it this way. I want to sell more virtually. Maybe the first two or three phone calls as I'm qualified, prospecting and qualifying and maybe even demoing, you know what? We're going to do this face. We're going to do this virtual. And then the second half might be maybe a face-to-face. But in the end, we're going to sell the same way. We're going to get back to normal. We just have new tools and new mediums to sell. That's it. Uh, I hate when you're right, Victor. I hate Basically, when you're right. I mean, so, so I think sometimes, you know, I, and by the way, I understand the argument. Are we like completely back to how we used to sell? No, we just, we just added a new tool to the toolkit. But is that really change? Or is that just more dexterity when it comes to selling? I say it's more dexterity that we're arguing. All right. I, I, I stand and, and corrected. I stand corrected. Uh, you, you're right. But so let's, let's stay on that. Mm-hmm. So tools for a retail mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. Some stores do videos. Most stores don't. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned that you had 1,600 YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And I would venture to say that most stores have no YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Really progressive or good stores right. might have 20, mm-hmm. 30 mm-hmm. if they've really embraced it. So I guess my suggestion, if you own a store, is videos, but not just videos of, you know, sometimes we, we you know, show a nightstand. It's this kind of wood. That's not the video I'm talking about. You can do product videos, but I would really encourage you to show the customer what it can do for them in their home more than anything else. But also, I think I would let them into the why. Mm -hmm. The why for your company. Why does your business exist? Why do you exist? And if your customer buys into your why, they bought before they even walk into the store. You know, it's, when we look at, you know, when we talk about what's really transforming, the tools are obviously transforming. And what we use, right? I mean, think about it. Today, I have a video studio. This cost me about, I don't know, I'm going to estimate about $10,000 to build this whole studio out with board and everything, right? This equipment would have cost me half a million dollars to a million dollars, you know, 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Today, your iPhone or Droid, whatever it may be, I mean, it's a high-quality 1090p camera. Again, that camera right there in that phone was probably five, ten, twenty thousand 20,000 several years ago. 
So all of a sudden, all these tools are basically increasing our ability to market ourselves more effectively. That said, you know, when we talk about the transformation, what we're seeing is that consumers are smarter. Check the box, right? They're finding more information online. Check the box. If you don't have content online to help educate them during the customer journey, uh, you need to check that box. So marketing is transforming. Marketing is definitely changing. I used to say that sales leads, marketing follows, right? Marketing would put some stuff out there, but really we close the deal on sales. Today, you've seen a shift in that balance. I think marketing is actually now more important than selling, something I thought I would never say, right? But today, marketing is more important. Branding is more important. And by the way, when I say marketing, I'm looking at the umbrella under, under this tent is the salesperson's personal brand, the amount of videos on there, case studies, so forth and so on, everything that has to do with the customer journey. By the time they get to the salesperson, they're pre-qualified. They've looked at stuff already. You know, we right. have we have CRM systems now with artificial intelligence that actually do some point scoring, can tell you what they've done, what they've looked at by the time they talk to you, Pete. And so what we're seeing is, again, selling is not changing. How people are buying continues to evolve as our buyers and consumer get smarter, but selling hasn't changed. So in your mind, what does a sales pro need to do to be more successful in the future? And boy, if that's not a layup shot to go to see your uh, presentation at Outbound, I don't know what is. <laughs> go see my presentation at Outbound. So Out- Outbound is a conference where we're bringing in, I forgot how many speakers now, 24, 26. It's a, it's, we, we just got a, a portfolio of speakers that are going to speak on every topic under the sun when it comes to selling. Uh Jeb Blunt, Anthony and Arena like to call it the rock show for salespeople. And I think it is. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, if I if I may add the phrase, a badass. It's gonna be a badass event. Uh, you can attend live or virtual check them out. And if you just do decide to join, just use Victor 100. That's the discount code. Uh, you'll get a small little break on the price there. But I think it'll be worth it. The what do salespeople need to do? I think again, you know, let's break this up into, into two big categories, right? Millennials and boomers and everything in between, right? But if I put the boomers on one hand, you know, you better up your game. You better get with the technology. You better up your phrases. You better up your your closing strategies, whatever it may be. You need to up your game. You need to change. It. it I mean, even the way. I mean, have you even noticed, Pete? It's, it's amazing to me that you really just study even clothing style. Something that most people don't consider clothing style. When I see a person wearing like a three-piece suit, I'm like, what are you, stuck in the 80s? You know what I mean? When I see cuffs on your pants, I'm going, what are you, stuck in the 90s? You know what I mean? Even clothing in the business scenario has changed. Fewer fewer people wear ties, right? People wear sports jackets or whatever, maybe something casual. But even the fashion of selling is changing. I think that's really fascinating to watch. And I think, now, this may sound like something that's like, yeah, why is he talking about that? Because the last thing you want to do is look dated. So not only do you have to update your, your your sales techniques, but you have to update how you per, how people perceive you in the market. And we have to pay attention to all these small signals. For example, studies have shown a lot of, a lot of millennials like to be contacted via email or SMS. Okay, that's something different. I'm sure cold calling is in there, so forth and so on. But think about it. Even the way we communicate or people how people want to be contacted changed. One study by Forrester I thought was interesting it was either Forrester or Gardner. I'll apologize to both of them if I get, I get it wrong. And that is, they highlighted that vendors in the B2B space, when I should say companies in the B2B space, when they're looking for a new vendor, prefer to connect with them virtually first. 
before meeting with them face-to-face. Now, think about that. It was like, the number was like 72, 73%. So the majority would rather talk to a new potential vendor virtually than meet with them. And that kind of makes sense. And so, see, all these little things are changing. But this is not, this is not a result of the pandemic. This is a result of the tools and the mediums available for us to sell today. The, the pandemic, all it did was highlight, if not accelerate, where we were going anyway, which was more towards this virtual medium and engaging the clients later on in the buying cycle. I just uh, started cracking open uh, Daniel Disney's uh, book on LinkedIn. And one of the things that he said in there hmm. hit me over my almost 61-year-old head. Hmm. It's likely that the very first impression your client will have of you will be virtual. Yes. And so is that impression what you want it to be? It's all about avatars now. You know, it's, it's the first thing people see. And so people are reaching into LinkedIn and looking at your profile before deciding whether to respond to your inquiry or not. I mean, it's that simple. It's how do you brand yourself? The thing is, the individual salesperson now becomes an extension of the actual company's brand. Now that comes with that with great power comes great responsibility, right? So if you're going to be like an extension of a company's brand, you got to make sure you're in line with what they're trying, the message they're trying to portray. But having said that, you now become a brand in and of itself. What you write, people look at your activities, what you post, what you say, what you share, all that stuff now comes into play, whether I want to talk to you or not. And again, if you're a decision maker, the first thing you're going to do is go online and say, who is this person that's contacting me? What do they know? And so that has become, again, a new way of selling. And that really is to create that first impression. So before, we were all worried about, you know, remember the years ago, you remember this book, what was it? What color is your parachute? It was all about, you know, first impressions and who you are and all that stuff. And now, you know, what color is your, what color is your, you know, your, your LinkedIn page look like? What does it look like? What, what message are you projecting? And so I think that's also fascinating. By the way, I love Daniel Disney's work. So I think uh, he's got a great book. Uh, he's going to be at Outbound also virtually. And so he's absolutely right. LinkedIn has become, especially in the B2B space, a way of people connecting with you. And people will automatically look at your profile. And here's what I always tell people. I said, Victor, what should I have on my LinkedIn profile? I always say, it's really easy. Just go look at somebody else's and then ask yourself, would you buy from this person? Or would you want to talk to this person? And if the answer is no, don't do that. If, if the answer comes back, yes, do that. It's that simple. I'm sorry. It's like when you, when, I, when people ask me, Victor, how can I become a better salesperson? Well, I'll become a better buyer. How do you buy? Really think, be cognitively aware of how you buy. And how you buy is how you sell. It's that simple. I think that's really important. One of the things that I've always taught my retail sales people, people is shop your competition and then don't do what they do. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless, you run into somebody who's outstanding and you're fighting the urge to buy from them, even though you're in the industry, like you want mm. to, it happened to me. I'll tell you who I was, a guy by the name of Joe Sands. And I was shopping him and he didn't know me. I didn't know him. He was so good. He was so good, Victor, that here I am shopping mm-hmm. him. I had to literally fight the urge not to buy from him <laughs> at full retail. I love it. I love it. That's how good that dude was. But 90% of the time when I shot my competition, mm. I'm like, dude, who lied to you? Or are you just lying on your own? Because right. the information that you're given 
is not accurate. Yeah. I, I like to I like to think of myself as a collector. Do you know what I mean? A, a collector of good habits. And so what I do is when I'm roaming the internet, when I'm going through LinkedIn, when I'm seeing things, I collect. Um, it's like collect artifacts. It's like I collect. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. I like what they did there. Oh, here's what they're showing. Oh, look what they did there. You know, and I'm just a collector. And I think we should all be collectors. When I watch other speakers, uh, you know, I get a lot of compliments for speaking, but that's because I'm a great collector. I collect from everybody. You know, I, if I see a great presenter, I collect. If I watch a comedian, you know, uh, do a monologue, I watch how they do it and I collect some of their best practices. So I think that's a good way of learning and becoming better. And that is a very good point, but I'm not going to let you off the hook with that one. Talk to me. So I know for mm. a fact that there is no way because mm. I've seen a lot of your presentations, mm -hmm. a lot. It's not on accident. It's on purpose. Mm. The moves, the gestures, the stories, how you tell them, yes. that is thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of practice. Yes. Uh, I would say 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. So yeah, I'm always asked the question. Uh, the nicest compliment I get is that I've never seen a speaker move where their gestures line up with uh, what they're actually saying. Right. And that, that's for several reasons. I mean, one is I studied the best of the best. You know, I, I studied at the knee of Zig Ziglar and the Jim Rohn, right? Especially Zig Ziglar had the movements down. Uh, I also took courses and classes on improv. Improv is how do you basically, you know, become more improvisational. But I, you know, from improv, you learn, you know, a lot of things about presenting yourself. Uh, I look at how other people present. And when something doesn't resonate, I go, why, did, why didn't that work? Why didn't that work? And I said, you know, if that person had just done this and that. So I'm the guy that walks around the house. My wife's kind of used to it. She's, is that I'm actually speaking the story in my head and I'm gesturing as I walk around the house. And you'll see if you, even when I'm walking down the street, this always often looks weird. I'm trying to find the right gesture. So if you give me an action right now, you say, Victor, how would you describe this? Uh, if you got one right now, give it to me, Pete. Then I would try to figure out the right gesture. But not only the right gesture, but the right gesture from state. For example, okay, Vic, sales are increasing. Now, most people would do this. Why? Sales increase. I just went left to right for those who can't see it visually. Left to right, right? Sales increase. Show the bar chart. But here's the reality. That's actually wrong from the stage because you got to do it the opposite. You got to go yeah. from right to left because they'll see it as growing. You know, and little things like that begin to add up. Right. It's like even how you point, how you gesture. Should you point? Should you use the open hand point? Should you use the understanding palm up point? Or if you want to dive deep, do you just point towards the ground to make a point? How do you do it? Which gesture makes sense? So it's still that level. I'm, I'm obsessed with it, but I, but but I but I enjoy it. I think you touched on two things that I'm going to ask you to go a little deeper on. Mm. Obsessed. Mm. All great. I don't care. I don't care if you're a, a business owner. I don't care if you're a professional athlete or an amateur athlete for that matter. Um, I don't care if you're an actor or an actress, a singer. It doesn't even matter what it is. The people who are the best are always obsessed with being the best. And, and not necessarily just for that sake, but they are obsessed. When I was in college, Victor, I 
lived in a dormitory and I was a defensive tackle on my football team and I practiced my first half step out of my stance. Mm. I don't know. Millions, millions of times. And the walls would shake and I, mm-hmm. I, I get in the, in my stance and I practice in the first, you know, few hundred or thousand times I did it. Everybody's coming out of the hall. I see what's mm-hmm. going on. It's Pete Primo practicing his first step out of his stance. Mm. And so later when I was a two-time All-American. I like that visual, by the way. That's a good visual. When I was a, when I was a two-time All-American, anybody that knew me, it, was, it, was, it wasn't an accident. The fact that you are one of the greatest speakers from stage, it's not an accident. It's the result. I, I would, by the way, I, I wouldn't say I was one of the greatest speakers. No, no, I, I no, see a lot of are. great speakers. But no, I see a lot, uh, no, 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 that's, that's your perfectionism kicking okay. in. Maybe. So, I don't think yeah. so, but go ahead. But you triggered something and mm. when you said, I took classes. So I've said this a hundred times. I'll say it a thousand more times, God willing, before I I, I, I go into the great yonder. Uh, every master is first and foremost a student. Absolutely. And if you show me somebody who's exceptional, I will show you somebody who's a great student, who's worked hard to become a great student, who's still even in this high level of performance is still looking for one more thing. You know, it always cracked me up. I'll never forget this. As long as I live, um, I was working with a franchise group and the number one guy always was there for the beginner classes with all the rookies. He came back in and did the beginning class every time. And I'm like, this guy's at the top of his game. And I finally said, Darren, dude, what are you doing? Like, you don't need this. He goes, oh, no. Oh, no, Pete. He goes, I need to remind myself of the basics all the time. And sometimes something slips and I don't want anything to slip. I don't want Mm. to lose my edge. And that's something that we see consistently with anybody who performs at a high level. So when I look at people speak, I have a hard time enjoying speakers. This is kind of personal confession here. I have a hard time enjoying speakers because I'm just looking at technique, content delivery technique, content delivery technique. And all three have to be, you know, in sync. So content delivery technique. And and one of those out of balance, my brain just triggers like, oh, why did you say that? Oh, why did you do that? Oh, you missed an opportunity. Some people think that the best speakers are those who are very dynamic and so forth and so on. But I think some of the best speakers, and I'll give you an example. And I talked about this on one of my sales after darks, and I even gave examples, was Simon Sinek, right? Who wrote Find Your Why. And Simon Sinek, uh, like he's my friend. Hey, Simon, like Simon, my bud. Simon was doing his presentation and he wrote like three things on this flip chart, like three letters, really, if that, whatever it was. But yet for 45 minutes, he just, he just kept me there. And he didn't even move that much. He took maybe a half step this way, half step that way. And I had to watch the whole video again. First of all, it was education. It was great content. And I said, what is it with this guy's delivery? And then I realized his delivery wasn't, you know, we often think of body language and things of that nature, but his delivery system was his use of his voice and facial expressions. 
And the way he did it was just masterful. Now, he probably doesn't know. You can tell it's very natural for him. But I've never seen anybody tell stories like that, not use a lot of, you know, uh, physical movements and just stand there and be able to hold your attention for that long. And I thought it was impressive. Yeah, stuff like that. This, By the way, this is one where he's actually more animated. There's one where he's just standing and he writes a couple and the thing's right behind him. But even here, when you look at this video right here, he even handicaps himself. He's holding the mic in his left hand. He could have worn a lavalier, which would have given him more fluid, but it doesn't matter to him. And then notice when he walks, like he, he does the, the, uh, the, the, oh, shucks. He kind of has an, oh, shucks. I'm just kind of an ordinary guy, just like you, trying to understand these little circles. And there's this quizzical look he always gives the audience, right? There's the quizzical look. And he's trying to explain, like, what's going on? And then he points it back. I mean, see, see the shrug? They, again, he humbles himself. Like, I don't know. I'm just, just trying to understand. Anyway. What I look at that, even we didn't even plan this, right? I look at that and I start dissecting without even listening to the audio. I can pretty much know what he's trying to do. That you know, he cost me a he cost me a lot of money in the short term, and he made me millions in the long term. Yeah, he uh, and and the funny thing of it is, I didn't even know about his book. Mm. One of the companies I was representing at the time, Victor, made mm. me read it as part of my assignment. Now there's my oh, guy there's right there. Zig. Now, now, look, the now look, look, look at the body language on Zig Ziglar. Uh, like Zig Ziglar's just like he'll do this. There's the hand. He's explaining over and over again. The hand tucks into the pocket, making it very casual. Let me just tell you a story. Reaching out to the audience, and then now he brings the hand back out. Now there we go into full motion. I mean, now he when he opens his palms up, he's just bringing the audience like, "Come on in. I'm about to talk to you. I'm a friendly guy." And then again, there's him making a point. I mean, you study these gestures; they're beautiful. I see, by the way, that was a crouch. Did you see the crouch? Every time he emphasizes, Zig Ziglar will crouch. And so I would study that guy's movements. I go and just look at him. I said, why does he do that? To me, it was almost like watching an elegant lion, you know, or just roam, you know, and the best speakers roam. But look at those gestures. Look how fluid they are. Look how beautiful that is. You know what I mean? And you know, he's telling a story. And so I could just watch that all day, man. But yeah, that, that's the master, man. That that's so. Yeah, now that's greatness. Yeah, well, I don't think you really understand, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, Simon uh, was required reading, and I love to read, so no mm. problem. I read, and it it really it hit a nerve, and the nerve that it specifically hit with me was the company that I was representing was acquired and it was a family owned business. It was acquired by private equity and they were no longer putting out the product that really made them who they were. Hmm. And you know what? Little bit by little bit, inch by inch, it was starting to bug me. And, you know, I started to rationalize and then that book just cracked it wide open for me. And I could not, mm. I could not make any more excuses for them. Mm. I, I just, so what was it about the book though? What was it specifically? Or at least one of the things that just about the alignment of your why and very specifically the alignment for my why is I work for my dealers. And if I can't, if my product does not help my dealers make more money, more profit and more sales, and less returns than anyone else's, it's not going to be a good fit for me. And what was happening was it was, it was just going the 
absolute wrong way. And their why was directly linked to short-term profitability. My why was create was offering products that my customers could get more for in a competitive marketplace and make more margin on and be very successful and be very confident in knowing that their that product was going to stay sold. I, I so 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 profitability over value was your, as I say in psychological terms, your cognitive dissonance. Yeah. To really put it in colloquial terms, I just no longer believed in the product. And it just gotcha. cracked that coconut shell wide open. And I could not retreat. I could not go back. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yes, exactly. So we talked about outbound just a little bit. Who should go to outbound? I think if you're in sales, I don't think I know if you're in sales, I think you should go to outbound. If you have any, even if you're in marketing, I think you should go. I think the you're going to learn not only, I mean, mostly sales, but there's going to be a lot of strategies in terms of how do people prospect? How do people actually do a lot of inbound? Even though we talk about outbound a lot, there's going to be some inbound conversations as well. And again, here's what I, how I break this up. When you go there, you're going to be one of three, one of three things is going to happen to you. The first is you're going to learn something for the first time. You're going to go, hmm, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. The second thing that's going to happen is like your friend who went back to the basics of sales. He goes there because he wants to be reminded because sometimes we forget, we drift away from the center line. And so he goes back to, for the basics to be reminded of what he stopped doing that he needs to start doing again. So you can learn something new, be reminded of something that you haven't done for a while you need to get back to. And the third one would be that you've been triggered. What do I mean by triggered again? Is that you see something, you go, huh, I could use that like this, or here's how I would use it. So you can go there to learn, to be reminded, or to get triggered. All right. That's it. I'm going. Yeah, that's it. You, should you, made go the sale. you made the sale. You made the sale. There it is, man. There it is, man. Hope to see that. Like I said, I'll be doing something unique. Uh, it, it, this will be, uh, it, it'll be, a, it'll be a first in presentation history. That's all I'm telling you. It'll be a first in presentation history. I don't know if I can pull it off. This is going to be equivalent to Roger Bannister's breaking of the four minute mile. How's that for drama? It's going to be interesting. Like I said, part of, part of me is afraid. But part of me is excited because if I could pull it off, it's going to be really cool. If I don't pull it off, well, not going to be that good. <laughs> <laughs> you're, always, you're always great. I, I'm not worried about that. No. So this is what you're predicting. You're going to do this first time ever, mm -hmm. and then everyone's going to copy you. Because that's what happened with Roger Bannister. They, they, might, they said the heart would pop. The heart would, you would die if you ran a four minute mile. Right. And then Roger Bannister did it. And then God, who knows right. how many people did it in the next year. That's it correct. was just crazy. Yep. Yep. I, so, so I think it's going to be an interesting, I mean, whether they copied it or not, who cares? They, it, it's not about, I've, this is what I've stopped doing. I stopped looking at whether people copy me or imitate. I, I don't even care about that anymore thing is i want to try something new and i want to see if it works from the stage and 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 the the gift the prize for me the reward will be to see if i can pull it off but if i don't get it that day i'll try to get until i finally get it. i think it's a great strategy what i'm going to use i think uh i've never seen anybody do it all right it'll be cool it's, it's gonna be good but yeah by the way so Jeb Blunt's going to be there. Anthony Inarino, Mark Hunter. Uh, we got Daniel Disney also there. We talked about him. We got, I don't know, James Muir. 
Uh, we got Colleen Francis. There they are, some beautiful names. Uh, so, yeah, we got, yeah, something from the heart, my man. Uh, just so many great speakers. I mean, I mean, if you were to pay to get all these speakers in one room individually, well, first of all, you don't have that budget. So to be able to see, <laughs> so to be able to see all these speakers in one room, it's going to be incredible. What I love about Outbound also, which is why I suggest you go live again, use the discount code Victor 100 is that you get to meet people up front close. Nobody has a special green room, right? So, you know, all these speakers are wandering around, you know, all throughout the days. And so it's a really nice way to connect, meet, engage, and just talk to maybe some of your your, your favorites. Victor, I will see you there. I cannot wait to see what you do. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart from uh, for coming on here and sharing with us some things and really, you know, what you modeled without even realizing it. The fact that you are such a student still at this high level of performance, uh, the fact that you're obsessed in a good way about how you analyze speakers. I think that that is, that's how you know you're still in the game, dude. Mm. If you stop analyzing it, if you don't go content delivery technique, Mm. the day that you stop doing that, Victor, Mm. that's the day you hang it up. You're done. I think you flatten out. As you know, I think I think you you flatten out, you plateau, then you begin to decline. And I think it's always interesting. Even like I like learning from like new speakers as well. So you know, a lot of the I'll just call them millennial Gen Xers. You know, that generation. There are certain speakers you watch at that at that level, that age bracket, or that generation who have a different style of speaking. And again, you have to watch that as well. So it's not just about people who are, you know, well in their years of speaking. It's also watching what the younger generation present, how the audience react to what they just presented. It leaves clues as to what you need to do to adjust so you can connect to the broad range or the big audience that you have. Victor, thank you so much for being here. Loved it. See you at Outbound. See you at Outbound. Outboundconference.com. There we go. 